So we're busy in the letter of John that John wrote to the beloved children, the people that he loved. Now, the Bible has got a threefold application. You've heard me say this before, have you? The first one was a local application. So he was literally writing this to, to Christians that came to, he established churches. And he wrote this to the people that he loved, this letter. And then it had a prophetic application. So the first one is a local application. Secondly, a prophetic application. What does that mean? It means that when he wrote it back in the day, it still deals with us today. So he wrote this letter to us. Whenever I open up the Bible, doesn't matter what book it is, I don't sit there and I go, yes, we understand in context where that was written, but I sit there and I understand that this Bible was written for me today, to us. It's a prophecy. The whole Bible is a prophecy for us. It's a book. The writers of this book, this Holy Scriptures is already dead. And still we read it. But the author of this book is not dead and he will never die. He lives in us. So it's got a prophetic application. But then also it's got a personal application. And it's with the personal application that a lot of people has got a problem with. Because they sit in church and, and I preach and I get offended and they say, oh yeah, but it's not for me, it's for my wife. Or it's for my husband, or it's for my child, or, for, or it's for that brother. Have you ever sat there and you say, oh man, if that brother could just be in this church to hear this message. Is that you? I, I, I often do it. You know, I, I sit and I listen in a car to a message and I go, oh, can that brother, Lord, that brother, but then the Spirit of the Lord touched me on the shoulder, not literally, but you understand what I say. And he says, it's for you. So before you think the services and the sermons is for others, first search your own heart. Yeah? And this is so wonderful about the Bible. So he writes this to us. He writes it to me. And he wrote it to people that he loved that was literally there on the day. And we see you know, how he came through because there was Gnosticism going on. Gnosticism who believed that, you know, this body is a sinful body, but the spirit inside is perfect. So I can't sin. I can do whatever I can do with this body. I can sin and so on, but I'm still perfect. The church don't preach that. No, no, we are not sinless perfection. We are just saved by grace and he forgave us our sins. But still, in this body, this wretched body that I am, this is what Paul says, not my words, still when I do something that I shouldn't do, I still need to go to Jesus and repent of what I've done. And go to the people and make restoration. You, you repair what you've broken. That's a hard one to do. And this is what he writes to them. And, and they also said, because the, the flesh is so evil and it's so sinful, Jesus Christ didn't really come to this earth because God can't live in a sinful body. Hence, God was only a figment of your imagination, or he was a spirit, or a ghost, or he was the angel Michael who became to the earth like the Jehovah Witnesses believe. That is a lie. It's false. And he's, he writes, uh, what's so wonderful, just to quickly recap, and I know I do it every Sunday, but I love to do it because it's such a wonderful letter, because he says, there's a lot of things that you say you do, but you don't do it. Who felt convicted over the last few months? Come on, be honest. I felt so much convicted. Remember when I preached the word, I'm, I'm hearing it as well, just like you. I've got two ears who also hear my voice. 
and I, and I preach this. And he says, you, do all, you say all of these things. It's easy to say. It's easy to talk. But to do is a different story. And then he gave us a few tests to test ourselves. Who remember the test? He says, walk in the light. How do we walk in the light? We are sincere. We're open. We come to him. We, we, we repent. And we walk the talk. We do what he tells us to do. And last week, he gave us the test of what? The test of love. And, and love is such a great emotion, isn't it? It's such a great emotion, love. I love the emotion, love. No, no, it's not an emotion. It is a decision. Love is a commandment from God, first of all. And it is, oh, Lord, I can't love that brother and that sister because they've done this to me. And I just sometimes think by myself, okay, so we're living on this earth now. You're in the same church. They've done something to you. Now you cross with them. Now I don't want to talk to them ever in my life anymore. What's going to happen when you get to heaven? Because that brother and sister is going to be in heaven as well. What are you going to do then? So I said it so many times. I said it from this pulpit. The decision lies with you to forgive them and to let them go. Yes? To let them go. I, I'm not saying you need to. I mean, people hurt each other. And there's sometimes where you need to have distance between people. But you don't walk with unforgiveness in your heart. So that was, those were really hard messages. And now as we're going to continue, just looking at two verses, three verses here, from verse 12 to verse 14, we're going to see that he now encourages his hearers. It's sort of as he gives them these tests. There's the first test. There's the second test. And next week, God willing, next week we're going to talk about a third test, which is this world we're living in. The world we're living in. But before he gets there, he encourages them, and we're going to learn something more this morning. Are you ready? Are you ready, everybody? Let's open up our scriptures. And may the Lord speak to us. 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. He says, I write to you, little children. How many times did he say, I write to you? Go back to the first chapter. I write to you because. I write to you because. And now he's doing the same thing. Threefold application. He's writing this to me now. I'm personally standing at this now. And he's writing, he's talking to me. He says, I write this to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you by his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you've known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, the little children, because you have known the father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and have overcome the wicked one and the Lord bless the public reading of his word. And my prayer is that his word will go out and not return void, but it can accomplish everything that he's purpose for. This is a wonderful encouragement he writes here. Have you seen the tenses, how they change? I write to you, the present tense, little children. And then he comes down here and he says, I have written to you. Sort of in the past tense. There's no big thing in that. It's just he's writing the same thing. And if you break it down as I'm going to do today and look at these different groups here, you will see that he is writing a very encouraging passage to us today. So I want to talk to you today about from little children to fathers embracing maturity in faith. That's the theme today. 
and, and it's another test. Because you and I need to look at these things, you know, these stages that we go through. This is such a wonderful teaching from John. And we need to understand this. But before we get to that, I love this quote from a poem from a German man known Goethe. He says, correction does much, but encouragement does more. Let it sink in. You know, I've had children, and sometimes I go to them and I correct them. But I'll tell you out of experience, the times that I went to my children and I encouraged them, they do much more. Much more. And I'm not against correction. I mean, you can ask my three little children, you know, their bums were burning at some stages of their life. That big boy, Richard, walking in here, that big boy, he's a big boy now, isn't he? You know, Gavin, my other son, he's back from New Zealand. He's a big boy. I won't do that now, Sean. <laughs> you know, he'll go, Dad, what are you doing? But they were also young. And my, my big girl, you, did you see my big girl? She's 21 years old. You know, I'm, I'm not going to go over there and give her now. A, a, no, no, I still believe in correction. It's the right thing to do according to the Word of God. And it's not messing up the brains of the children. It's not. There comes a time when a child needs to feel that sting of pain on their bum. On the right place, not on the ear, not a slap over the face, on the bum. Bums were made to sit on stools and seats, but also to be corrected on. <laughs> oh, somebody's going to listen to this and they're going to take me on and I go, Man, am, am I offending you? Praise the Lord. <laughs> I'm telling you, the psychology in children is damaging them today. The Bible say the Bible say that we need to use the rod. We need to use it in the proper way. And those big boys, if you see them next, if you see them afterwards, just walk over to them and say, "Hey, man, your dad gave you a good hiding, didn't he?" And and look, that's good because the Lord shows it in the right way. But look at this again. He says, "Correction does much, but encouragement does more." And John wants to encourage the Christians. He wants to encourage us today. But encouragement must be true. Encouragement must be true. It should not be flattery. We find so much flattery these days. People are telling you what you want to hear. You find it in so many churches. They will preach from the pulpits to people to trickle the ears and to tell them what they want to hear. That is not encouragement. It is flattery. Because they want to fill the churches. You know, I'm not going to tell you the truth. I'm not going to preach really hard so that you feel, you know, convicted or anything because you're going to be mad at me. So by all means, friend, if you want to be mad at me, go for it. But don't be mad at God. You will lose. I've seen so many people in my life do that and they lose. So encouragement is like a boost of positive energy or it's support that someone gives you. It is when someone believes in you. They came over to you and they go, you tell me what you tell and I believe in you. I mean, I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, I grew up, I was also a young boy. When my teachers come to me and they say, you can do it. You really can do it. We saw all of the traits that you've got. We know you. Just go for it. We believe in you. How good is that? How good is that encouragement? And listen, children today in the church of God needs encouragement. I need encouragement. If you want to encourage somebody this week, encourage me. I need the energy that comes from my brothers and sisters. By all means, it comes from God. His Spirit lives inside of me. 
The word says there in Philippians, He works in us to will and to do his, to His good pleasure. That word there means energy. So God gives me the energy. But there cometh a time that I need brothers and sisters. Yeah? And this is where John is right now. He's given them a heart letter. He says to them, you need to walk in the light. You need to correct something in your life. And it's not always nice to hear that, is it? But right in the middle, it encourages them. You see, it is somebody who believes in you, who cheers you on, and he helps you feel motivated and confident to achieve your goals. But it must be true, not lies. You must not have no agenda when you encourage somebody else. But I remember when I was in school and I was running the long, you, you wouldn't believe that. I did the 10K walking, you know that funny walking? I did that, I did that, yes, and I won. I actually had a record at one stage and I've got the certificate somewhere in my house. But I did the funny walking, but I also did the long running. And it's so good, you know, you run outside and then you come into the arena and then you run around that circle and that's where the crowd is. I'm telling you, Dennis, out there in the streets, it's hard, yaka. You go really tough and you go, man, I want to quit, I want to give up. Then you see somebody coming on and you keep on going. But the moment you go into that arena and you see the people and they start cheering you on, you know what happens? All of a sudden you get an energy boost, yeah? And this is what the church do. This is what the Apostle John do. This is what this whole book is written, is to encourage you. It's to uplift you. It's to carry you to the line. You've got some work to do, but brothers and sisters, we need to encourage each other. But that encouragement must be true. You see, flattery is when someone says nice things about you. And who likes that? I like it. You know, people come over to me and say, oh, gee, you've lost a lot of weight. Oh, I like it. You know, and, and they come over and they say all of these nice things, but sometimes it's inflated and insincere when they come over to you. And, and let me just tell you, you pick it up, don't you? When people come to you and it's inflated and it's insincere, and we've learned, we've learned this word insincere. Who remembers that word a few weeks ago? Sincerity, it means it was a word that was coined in the Roman days where it means wax. You remember that one? insincere so they built these marble statues there stand the statue and it's so beautiful but they've got all of these holes in there which shouldn't be there or maybe in the face and these men put wax on it so that you can't see it but once it comes out into the sun what happens with wax it melts now i've met so many people in my life who's got so much wax on them when the when the pressure comes onto them what happens they melt away Oh, I'm going to lose my faith. And I go, did you have faith when you started? And this is what we need to understand, that, you know, flattery is just inflated and insincere. It is to make you feel good and to gain your favor. It's to tell you what you want to hear. And Paul is, uh, John is not like this. You see, the best encouragement that he can give you and me uh, is for what God says in his word. The word of God is the best encouragement that you can get. That you can get. And you ask, you ask my wife, when we sit down and we counsel people and they sit on the other side of the table, they, they want to hear nice things. They want to hear they are right in the situation. And we say, let's go to the mighty counselor. And you open up the Bible and they shut off. But this is the best encouragement you can get. It's the word of God. Why? What did I say about encouragement? It must be 
true. And the word of God is so true. And look at this now. John writes to these people, and I love it. He says to them from the word, here is some encouragement for you. He says, if you have trusted Jesus Christ, God says that your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Can somebody just shout hallelujah? Come, let's give the Lord a hand in this place. Come on. Think about this. What is the best thing that can happen to you? Your sins are you forgiven. Come on. That weight that you've carried, that strain that you are under, that thing that you've done and you feel so guilty about it, you feel so filthy about it. The moment you finish doing your sin, as you step away, you go, why did I do that again? And it's all that weight of guilt. Your conscience is so sheared. It is so hard. But still that voice speaks in your mind and say you are doing the wrong thing. And you walk with this weight of despair until you come to him and you say, Lord, I repent of my sin. And you know what he does? Oh, he takes it away. And then what happens? You come out of that weight and you feel that weight lifted up from you. This is great encouragement. This is what we've read. He says, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, God says that your sins are forgiven. He says that you've come to know Him as the Father. How wonderful is that that you now know that you've got a heavenly Father. I've had young, in New Zealand, a young man come to me and he said, man, his dad was so bad to him. His dad left them when he was a young boy. He never saw his father and now he's got issues with relationship with fathers. And I say, I understand you. And I say, that's right. And, and it's not good that your father walked out of your life. I get that. But let me tell you, sister. Let me tell you, brother. You've got a father now who will never leave nor forsake you. And you know, we sit here today and we shake our heads and we go, that's wonderful. But that person sitting there goes, I can't see it. How wonderful is it that we sit here this morning and we know the Father. How encouraging is that? You didn't know the Father when you came first, did you? When you were saved, you didn't know the Father. You just came to Jesus. But then you start knowing the Father and it goes deeper. He wants you to grow strong through His Word so that you will overcome the evil one. Now this has all been prophesied. Let's look in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33. He says, but this is the covenant. Everybody say covenant. In what covenant are you and I living? In the new covenant. So there's two covenants. There's the old covenant and there's the new covenant. There are still people in churches today who's living under the old covenant. Yes? I'm not asking you, I'm telling you. There's people who are still living under the old covenant. And you know, here is the thing. It's not only the covenant of the, of the law that's on them, that's pushing them down. It is the covenant of man-made laws. And, and this is, you know, the church says you must do this. You've got to be there. You've got to be there. Man, if you want to stay on the, you've got to do this. It's all under law. It's the old covenant. But here is the new covenant. We heard about it on the table. The freshness thereof. 
What is the new covenant? Jesus Christ came and he fulfilled the old covenant, the shadow, and he's the substance which I believe in. It doesn't mean the old covenant is destroyed. It doesn't mean I cut it out of my Bible. It's still there. But whenever I go to the Old Testament and I read about all of the old things, it points me to one thing only, and that's Jesus Christ. Not one thing, one person. So here we read about it. He says, but this is the covenant. Now when Jeremiah wrote this down, he didn't know what covenant he was talking about. How privileged are we? He didn't know. He was still thinking about what is the covenant he's talking about because they were sitting under the old covenant. He says, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after these days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. Yes, it is the law and the requirements. He says, I'll put it in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Let's just stop there for a minute. Let's, let's do some teaching here. I mean, have you sat down? Who can stand up in this place and quote the whole Bible verse for verse? Who can do that? Nobody can. Nobody can. No, no, we, that's not what he, he says. But in those days, under this covenant, I will put my law. Who will do that? Listen to me now. This is going to make something open for you this morning. He says, I will put my law where? In their minds. The whole law he will put in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. How, how can he do that? There's only one way. There's only one way this can happen. He comes and he lives amongst us. We beheld his glory. That is what John writes in the Gospels. Then he died for our sins and he go to the cross. But he promises us that he's going to give us another helper. Who's that? The Holy Spirit. Why did he send the Holy Spirit? To comfort us, to be with us. Where is the residence of the Holy Spirit? Is he just blowing like the wind out there? Is he just... Oh, you get to watch out. Here comes the Spirit. I'm not making fun of the Holy Spirit because I know Him very well. But here is the fantastic thing that Jeremiah could not understand. What happens? Come on, Luke. What happens here? Josh, what happens? The Holy Spirit comes and He lives inside of you. Inside of me. And now the Bible says He is our teacher. He teaches us. Now, it doesn't mean I'm just going to sit there now and take this verse and say, oh, you know, I'm going to do what they, what is this thing going on, this um, prosperity preaching? They go, name it and claim it. I'm going to sit there now and go, okay, Lord, it says there in Jeremiah, you're going to put it in my mind. Here I go, 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 go. No, no, we still got to open it up and read it. But there is the difference now. What was closed, listen to me, what was closed in the Old Testament is now revealed in the New Testament. Amen. Jeremiah would sit here this morning, honestly, if we can time wrap him up, zoop, and there sits Jeremiah here this morning. He will stand up this morning and say, I didn't understand what I was writing. Why? Because it was closed, it was concealed. But now in the new covenant, it is revealed, brothers and sisters. Are you with me now? Are you getting excited? Look, look at this now. He says, that he will put the law in our minds and write it on our hearts. You can read the Bible. You can study it as much as you can. You can read it. You can say it like a parrot. But if the Holy Spirit doesn't open it up to you, 
it is closed. This is what's happened. This is the new covenant. And this is the privilege and the encouragement for us. In verse 34, he says, No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Why is he putting that? This is physical teaching it. This is sitting down with the children and teaching them the law. He says, no more shall this happen. He says, he's saying, know the Lord, for they shall know me. How shall they know me? From the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. That was what they were talking about. This is what John is talking about when he speaks to them today. Now I want to give you four stages of Christian experience, okay? Or four stages of maturity. You can put in any name you want to. But there's four stages that John came to us based on this. He was practicing this in that letter when he wrote this to them. Four stages. And we all go through this. First of all, he talks about the infants. Look at chapter 2 verse 1. 1 John 2 verse 12. He says, I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake now somebody says when he says little children he was talking to the whole church and he is he was talking to all the christians he says you are little children i'm still a little child in god's family but you know me i go to what book i go to the greek because he uses little children twice in this passage but he uses a different greek word for little children i don't know if you saw that but if you didn't, don't worry, I'm going to show it to you right now. He writes to them, he says, I write to you little children. Why? Because your sins are you forgiven for his name's sake. The Greek word that he uses there is the word technia. It means infants, newborns, the little babies that comes out of the womb. And this is what happens with a little baby if they come out of the womb, okay? Are you ready for this? This is what happens. They come out of the womb and they go... Praise the Lord! I want to serve you, God, for all my life. Is that what happens? Who was there when they were birth? I was there <laughs> when Sharia was born. She came out, and from there on for the next six months, man, I'm telling you, in the middle of the night, two o'clock, one o'clock, I want attention. I want attention. My nappy is dirty. I want attention. It's all about me. When you are born, it's all about you. Isn't I am I right? I know I'm right. I've got three children. <laughs> we are born in a sinful nature. We are born in the nature of Adam. And this is what happens, brothers and sisters. He says, when we get born again, we are born again like little babies in the spirit. This is so beautiful. And you know what happens? I remember the day when the Lord saved my life. I didn't know anything. Remember what I said to you before. This is why I say this is connected to this. He's, this is what every man teaches and everything. It was a closed book to me. But the moment when God saved my soul and His Spirit came and He lived inside of me, I had such a hunger for the Word of God. The Word of God is the milk. The Bible says that. He says the Word is like milk. What do you give a baby? A steak. I love my steak, man. Ask Richard. He can cook you a very good steak, a T-bone steak, man. I love a big T-bone steak. And I eat them. But you don't take that T-bone steak to a two-day-old two baby and you say, there you go. Knock yourself out, Bron. 
No, why don't you do that? Because it's not the right thing. There's, there's this little baby who comes out who needs attention. And we are the church. There are some people who come and they are born again. And once they walk through these doors, they need attention. And little babies need more attention than the bigger children. Is that right? And we need to give them attention. And this is what happens when you are born again. You are a technia. This is what he talks about. Now, what does he say? He says, it's a wonderful thing that you experience. Your sins are you forgiven. Do you remember when the Lord saved your soul? And, and you realized for the first moment that, that he took my sins away. You remember that? How wonderful was that? Never forget that moment, brothers and sisters. Never forget it. This is what he says to them. He says, I write to you little children because you need to understand your sins are you forgiven. This is a special joy that you've got. It is, it is the innocence of somebody who's been pardoned for that. Have you seen a baby how innocent they look? This is the innocent stage that you go in. Your sins are ple completely forgiven. Listen to me. It doesn't come into, in degrees. I want you to understand this because I hear people teach that. They say there is different degrees of forgiveness of God. And they use John chapter 1 verse 12. He says, for you have the right to become children of God. They use the word become there. They say, no, no, you're not a baby. You're not a child. You become a child. You need to work really hard on your salvation. You need to work on it. You need to uphold this law. You need to do that. And then you will become a child of God. That is a lot of nonsense. Let me tell it straight out. And if somebody teaches that, it is error. If he saves your soul, if he forgives you your sin, it is totally 100% forgiven. Amen? Come on, let's give the Lord a hand. Hallelujah. The only reason why people want to take you through phases is because they want to control your life. They want to control every single step of that. Hey, the pastor is in charge of your life. I don't want to be in charge of your life. Honestly, I don't want to be. I've got too much things to keep me busy as it is. Oh, you know, that guy, he said we can't come to him. He's busy. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that when you are born again and saved, the Spirit of God comes and lives inside of you, and He's going to help you grow now. You're going to read the Bible, and you're going to, Scripture's going to jump off the page at you. Is that happening to, to you? And that's the Holy Spirit. I better hurry on. Who loves the little babies? I love them. We need to go out and, and get these little babies off the streets. We need to bring them into the church, yes? Oh, but you don't know that guy. You know, he's a, he's a vile sinner. I saw him doing something really ugly. And when he walks in, he stinks a little bit. Then you need an attitude adjustment. There's no, there's going to be no perfume in heaven. I'll just leave that one with you. But you see, this is the wonderful phase. A Christian is completely forgiven from their sin. They will never be more forgiven for their sin. And now he says to them, this is a wonderful little baby to understand that. But you need to understand it is for his name's sake. For his name's sake. Acts chapter 4 verse 12. Um, he says there's nowhere salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given amongst men by which you must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. It's his namesake. It's nothing you did. It's not, it's not, listen to me, it's not faith plus works. It's not grace plus works. Go read Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. He says, by grace you have been forgiven. 
Is that right? Through faith. No, no, let me read it. I, I know the scripture out of my head, but it, it's a, let me go there and read it to you. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourself, it's a gift of God. There it comes. You see, it's all His work, and this is what little infants do. So I want to ask you this morning in this church, are you still a little baby, or have you grown up a bit? Have you? Let's see. The next step is toddlers. Who knows those little toddlers when they grow up? Little Michael and Matthew, man. They run all over the place. And what is little toddlers? They talk a lot, isn't it? They yap, 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 and they want to know every single thing. He says there in verse 13, he says, I write to you, little children. You see, he uses the same. If it's only English, you won't understand. I write to you, little children, because of your sins are forgiven. But then he says the same thing in verse 13. I write to you, little children, because you've known the Father. And what happens here? He uses the Greek word paideia. He doesn't use the word techni, the first word. He doesn't use that for little infants. Why would you do it, John? Because I mean something different, John. He's talking to me now. And, and the word there is Greek, is paideia. That means little toddlers... Those who are able to walk and talk. And have you studied this little toddlers? They know their father. Their father is everything for them and their mother. You know, I, I, it, it is so early, but now I've been saved. My sins is forgiven, but then you need to move on. And as you study more the word of God and you read through, through uh, the, the gospel of John, you, you understand that Jesus is the son of God. You read through Matthew, you understand that he's the king. You read through, through Mark and you see all the action. You start to know Jesus more. And if you know Jesus, you know the father. You know, I see these little children, you know, like little Michael, for instance. I'll take him as an example. I can. I'm allowed. I'm the grandpa. I'm the opa. You know, when he comes and he sleep over and I walk in and I go, hey, Michael, Opa's got a very fast car. Yeah, but my dad has got two turbo buttons in his car. <laughs> and then I walk around and I say, hey, Michael, come and feel my muscle. Come over here, Michael. And he goes, and he, and he feels my muscle and he goes, yeah, but my dad has got bigger muscles. <laughs> Isn't it true? These little children, once they come to that stage, their mom and dad is everything for them in their life. What, because what happened? Since he was a baby, they spent time with him. Little Matthew, walking up and down there, you know, coming, and it's all about his dad. And I go, what about Opa, man? Come on. And what about my feelings? Opa. Say Opa. You know, I train them. I teach them. I, I, I get, because they learn quickly, I get little Matthew over, and I go, hey, Matthew, the whole day when they sleep over, don't tell him, they're in church, but don't tell him. I go, Matthew, Opa's car has got a turbo and supercharged. Yes, Opa. And super, I want him to go home. What is he going to tell his dad, Dennis? Opa's car has got a turbo and supercharged. But Michael walks over, yeah, but my dad has got two turbo buttons. And then I've just put him in my place again. <laughs> you see, this is the little toddlers here. The paideia. And this is the stage that we grow in your Christian life. We need to start and understand the Father. We really, when we were born again, we don't know the nature of God. We don't know the nature of man. And we don't know the nature of the world. Listen to me, parents. Those are the three things that your child needs to learn in life. They need to know God the Father. They need to know about themselves. And they need to know this world. But this is what happens. Now I'm growing in a toddler and the parents teaches their children. This is how it's supposed to be. This is how the Bible describes it. Mom and dad needs to teach their little children about God. 
But you know what happens these days? Let's take them to, to the church because of Sunday school will do that for you. Am I right? Oh, let's put them in a Christian school because they will teach them about God. No, no, no. Your first responsibility as a father and a mother is to teach these little children about God. Then we teach them about themselves. Listen, my child, you're going you're gonna to bump your toes against a lot of things in life. You're going to make a lot of mistakes because you are not God, you are man. And then we teach them about the world they're living in. Little my, my little child, be careful because out in the world there are wolves and lions, yeah? This is little toddlers. I hurry on. What is the next stage? It's all there that John wrote to us. Young men. Now I hear the young men in the church go, young men. Yeah, these are the strong ones. Look at what he writes. He says, I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. These are the ones who's in the trenches. These are the ones who goes out and wants to take on. You can't, you can't take on the devil. Don't go there. You read the book of Jude, you can't fight the devil, okay? But these are the ones who overcome difficulties in life with the faith that God has put in them. I've written to you, young men, because you are strong. You are strong. You look at these men, they pump the irons. Man, I, I still go to the gym. Yeah, I go to the gym, Andre, and there's these young buffs there, you know, and, and they, they like to put on T-shirts which shows the muscles. There's, you know, they might as well do it without their shirts, and they walk in there and they pump the iron, you know, they pump the iron, and they pump the iron. I used to do that, I know. Now I go in and I get one of those five kilogram dumbbells. <laughs> But that's how you grow, isn't it? You go through these phases. You know, they lie there on their back and they do the bench pressures. And they've got 100, 100. You know, and I go on there and I put 5-5 five, five on now. Even, even the dumb bar in itself is too heavy for me these days. But this is it. These young men, look how he writes to them. This is the phase in your Christian life. We need to grow. Look, I love it when he says, have written to you because you are strong. What makes you strong? The Word of God that abides in you. The only way that you can get overcome and get victory over the wicked one is by what? The Word of God. And you have overcome the wicked one. These are the words that stand out for these young people. You really battle against the enemy in your daily life. You overcome him. The Bible says that the, the, the devil is like a, a roaring lion. He wants to destroy you. Young men means those who've grown to the prime of their life. They are no longer tossed to and fro like little children by errors. And let me just talk to this church this morning. I don't know where you are. You will know where you are. Whether you're still a little baby, whether you're a toddler, or you're a young man. And if I talk to sisters as well. The Bible talks about young men, but it talks about you, sister, as well. And you, young lady, as well. I just want to ask you now, where are you in this? Are you walking in this? Are you walking in the Word of God? This is so strong here for me. He walks around like a roaring lion. But you see, what I see these days, that people don't study the Word of God. They don't take the time for themselves to sit and study the Word of God. And then comes one strain of doctrine. You know what doctrine is? A code of belief. And you look at that, and, or you pick up a book. Yeah. You pick up a book. Let it be known that a book is a sermon, okay? Somebody writes their ideas in a book. And they write something about the Bible. Then you believe the book more than you believe the Bible. You know where I'm going. 
and then somebody else write about exactly the same topic and you pick up their book and you go oh I didn't see that that guy didn't say that this guy say it now you start believing this guy's book you are tossed to and throw between doctrines and young men shouldn't be you know what I did I came out of the Pentecostal church in South Africa but I sat down and I studied the Word of God and I noticed there's a lot of things that even they are doing wrong I'm by far not saying I'm the only right one you need to taste my spirit and you've heard my sermons I said it so many times here we need to keep each other like iron sharpens iron sharpen if I preach anything from this pulpit which is false it's your right you must come to me and we need to sit down and study it and talk about it. Amen. It's not, I'm, not the only, I'm not right. I'm like you. I still want to believe I'm one of these neniskios. I like that word. I still feel young. And people say, you know, you're in your 50s. I feel as if I'm in my 30s still. Yeah, look at this. This is where I still believe I am. But let's carry on and finish off this morning with the third one. He says, oh, I forgot a verse here. He says in James chapter 1 verse 2, My brother, count it all joy when you fall in various trials. It's these young men when you come into trials that builds your faith and strengthen your faith. Then he talks about the fathers. Four experience stages. He says in verse 13, I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. He repeat that. So the task for you and for me to grow in maturity in the Bible is to know who? Is to know God. And where are you going to learn about God? This is why. I mean, how many times, Kylie, when you sat in these sermons that I said, read your Bible. How many times? Ten Maybe 10 times? No, more than 10? If it's more than 10, I've done my work. <laughs> no, we know the Father. That's, why we, that's how we grow up. Do you know Him? And I can tell you how I can see whether you know Him. When you come into a situation or a trial and you fret about the situation and not stand in faith, your faith has been tested. And even in that situation, you know the Father a little bit more. Because when you come into your difficult time, believe me, the church starts praying when they are going into a difficult time. When it's going well, no, we get on your motorbike and the air is just in the wind. Not mine, but somebody's. But you're just going because life is good. You don't worry about anything. And man, so you walk up to somebody and say, man, I'm living the life. But when the first trial comes your way, what happens? What happens? You're no longer on your bike. You're no longer wind through the air. You are sitting there in despair. And now you're calling on God. He says, these men known the Father from the beginning. Fathers who are the ones who are matured in the Lord. And this is what I said in this church. I said it to our older folk in the church. We need our older folk in the church. We need them. I prayed. When we prayed, seven years going now, when I prayed for this church, I said, Lord, please send us, send us, mature all the people to this church who's walked the walk. Why? Why would we want to do that? Because we need the young people to see these people in church, the ones who's walked the walk through life. I want our young people to be able to go to the old people in our church and sit down with them and say, tell me your story. Will you do that? That's one of the most wonderful things. You will have to have patience because have you seen the older people? 
they talk slow and they talk thoroughly. Isn't that right? And they, and they will tell you all the detail, but we need that. We need our old people in the church. But we also need the young people in the church and we need some babies in this church. Spiritual babies I'm talking about. Now he says to them, you know him from the beginning. Let me just quickly talk about this because he repeats that. What beginning is he talking about? John knows about beginnings. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 he says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Who knows where that beginning is? I believe 100%, no doubt, 6,000 years ago. The beginning of this earth is not billions of years. That's what they teach your children. Billions and billions of years. But give it to them. We need to understand what it is. One, uh, John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. John 1 verse 3. All things were made through Him. Through whom? So who made the whole world? Who's He talking about here? Jesus. So through Jesus, He was making the world. Now before you say, I'm one of those Jesus-only sects, no, you're wrong. We're not a sect. The Jesus only sect. We're not. I don't, it's, it's God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But He made it through Jesus. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning. Now we've experienced Jesus who was from the beginning and everything was made through Him. But to go a little bit deeper, we need to understand what Micah said. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. He was prophesying. He says, But you, Bethlehem, though you are the little amongst thousands in Judah... Yet out of you shall come forth the one to be ruler. Who's that? The ruler in Israel. Whose going forth are from old, from everlasting. This word everlasting there means to a vanishing point. Do you want to know what that is? Have you ever walked into this, onto the beach and you look over the waves and everything to the far end? How far can you see? You can only see as far as you can't see anymore. That's how far you can see. And that's the vanishing point. Now let's go back 6,000 years. And you say to me, we can see everything that happened 6,000 years. Where can we see it? Right here. I've got the, this is a history book, by the way, as well. This is the history of the world. And if it goes in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it goes back 6,000 years. We can see with our eyes, spiritual eyes, back 6,000 years. But now, if, you, if that's mind-boggling to you, listen to this. Now, what if we can see beyond that? That is the vanishing point. Now, these people who say the earth is 70 billion years old, God bless their heart. Let's say we can see back to 70 billion years because somebody dig out a bone in the ground and they go, whoa, this thing is 70 million years old. And they go, okay, now the Bible is right here, 6,000 years. They go 70 million. And what is the proof we've got of the 70 million? That little bone of a dog which died, I don't know, 3,000 years ago. A little dog died and they go, oh, this is it. And now they go, oh, we can test. It's 70 billion years old. Okay, give it to them. Bless their heart. So now our vision has gone from 6,000 to 70 billion years. Now my question is, what beyond that? That is then the vanishing point. 
Oh, come somebody. No, no, no. We picked up. You know, somebody was digging there in the background and they go, oh, there's a bone. One trillion years ago. Who knows? Did you, were there photos there? Is there anybody who wrote a book about it? No, no, but let's believe them. One trillion years. That's a long time. We can't imagine it, can you? But let's say that's now the point. But what about beyond that? Uh, the point I want to make, brothers and sisters, can you understand how this word here? The word in Hebrew means the vanishing point until it vanishes beyond our comprehension. Now look at this. Micah didn't know what he was writing. And here we sit today. And he says, fathers, he says to us here, you know him from the beginning. What does it mean? I've got the privilege to be way cleverer than all of the scientists today. Because I know him from the beginning. He walked amongst us and we've experienced him. I want to finish up this morning. Look at this here and this is the important part. When we see the little children, they need to mature to an old age. We teach and train them a lot of things. But encouragement comes the other way down. This is how it happens. And this is how it should happen in our church, yes? This is why I said we need the older folk in our church. We need a group of good young people in our church. And then we need the new babies. Sean is going out in the streets and he's, he's going out there. He's making babies for us in a spiritual sense, my sister. I say it with a lot of respect. We need spiritual babies in this church. How do we do them? We go out and we proclaim the gospel. Yes? The gospel. And now what happens here? Encouragement comes back. You see, there's three examples. I'll just give you these three. To encourage someone new in the faith. There's three. If we look back at this picture, how are we going to encourage our young ones? We take the example of Jesus and his disciples that followed him. Matthew chapter 4 verse 19, then he said to them, follow me and? Everybody read that. I will make. What does it mean? I will make. It means that Jesus is going to take these followers and he's going to do something with them. And we can read now the history, what he made with them. What did he make of them? Apostles. And they built churches. And they spread the gospel. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's a great example of encouragement, isn't it? Jesus encouraged his disciples. Go and read your Bible. It's all there. Let's take the apostle Paul, for instance, in his interaction with Timothy. You remember Timothy? In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses... Commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In this church, I'm praying and it is my task to go out. And there's men, and, you know, there's men in this church uh, and young people that we need to raise up to be able to preach. Yes? Is that what you're praying? This is how we mature in a church. You know, it's not, and this is not my church. It's not, I don't need to do everything. I, I led worship this morning because, you know, they, I didn't, we didn't have worship leading this morning, and that's all. But we're raising people up, and this is what the many say, to commit to these men. And then finally, the early church, they had a mutual support for each other. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. These are the things we as a church need to do. What am I preaching to you today? The apostles? Doctrine. I'm reading John. 
I'm, I'm, I'm teaching you on the letter of John. Whose doctrine is that eventually? God's doctrine. Because the Bible says that He made everything. And we need to fellowship. And man, this church loves to fellowship. I showed you the photos of the brothers and the sisters. And we need to break bread. We've done it this morning. We do communion. But it's also visiting houses. I mean, on Friday evening we went to Fabian's house and they've got a home service there. And man, I'm telling you what. You know these restaurants where you can eat as much as you... I think it's $19 and eat as much as, as, much as you can. They, they don't know what's going on in the Ribeira household, man. I mean, that Aaron walks around and he packs. If you stand around with a plate, Kara, yeah? <laughs> you, you look at your plate and you go, there's one more bite. And I'm, I'm okay, I'm full now, one more bite. And by the, you, you just go for the bite and Aaron is in there with a big spoon and he goes, down. <laughs> did that happen to you? Yeah. Just show me. Some of you, did it happen to you? Yeah, we love our fellowship and we need to do that, but we fellowship here at church afterwards. And you know, I come to your house. I come to your house, we sit down and we fellowship. And then also in prayers, we need to do that. Now, brothers and sisters, as I said before my wife comes up, uh, every Sunday I'm going to do this. I'm giving you the ABCs of being saved. All of what I've preached now, if you are not saved, listen to me online, whomever will watch this or listen to this sermon all over the world, wherever. If you hear this right now, if you are not saved, everything I've preached in the last 40 minutes means nothing to you. Nothing. Once you come to the cross and you submit to Him and you admit that you're a sinner, then you become a spiritual baby. Then you grow into become a toddler and a young man and, and you become a father. Is that the path you want to walk? Come to Him and acknowledge your sin. Secondly, you believe that Jesus is Lord and He died for your sin and He was raised from the dead. You believe that with your heart and then you confess and you call on the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You this morning for Your Word. And we thank You, Lord, that Your Word is alive. It's living and it's powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. Father, it cuts between bone and marrow, spirit and soul. And it's the discerner of the heart. Father, out of all of that I said today, I just pray that you go with everybody today to take this teaching and to do it during the week. To think about where we're sitting in these stages. Father, young people, and there's a lot of young people in this church, and I'm talking spiritually young people, Lord. They need to be nourished with your word and with prayer. I pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit will encourage them to will and to do what you ask us to do. In the name of Jesus, amen.